The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the eighth chapter. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes according to St. Mark, the first chapter. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's Oscar season again. It's that time of year when everyone is abuzz with which movies are going to receive all the top honors, the most prestigious awards of the year. What movies will forever be remembered as classics, as the best of the best? As Oscar season comes around, it usually makes you think about some of those classics from the past, those epic films that have withstood the test of time, that are beloved by all generations, that changed the face of filmmaking forever. And despite all that, I was thinking about the Police Academy movies. Have you seen those? Not exactly Oscar material. But as I was reading our gospel lesson, a character from those movies kind of popped into my head. There was this tiny little lady police officer with this wispy voice. She was so polite, so timid, almost inaudible most of the time. But one of the gags that runs in the movies is at some point, she has had enough. After asking politely several times for the bad guys to stop, she unloads with this screaming tirade that makes them absolutely stop in their tracks, shocked to hear such power and force coming from someone like her. She had always had the authority of the police badge, but now she was finally speaking as if that authority really meant something. In the Gospel reading today, Jesus does something kind of similar, but way better than the police academy movies. Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he starts teaching. But he doesn't even start out meek and mild and humble, asking people, hey, if you don't mind, would you please listen to me? As he teaches, he speaks with power, conviction, and authority. Now, people usually went to the synagogue to hear teachers speak about the scriptures, and they were used to hearing a certain thing. They were used to a dialogue a vague, open-ended interpretation, a choose-your-own-adventure version of Scripture where every ending is a happy one, so you can just read it however you want to. So when Jesus starts speaking with power, with authority, as if God's word actually means something, it makes them stop dead in their tracks. And they ask themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? They were shocked that Jesus spoke God's word with authority. This was not what they were used to hearing. The scribes, they did not teach with authority. They did not speak as if God's word had an absolute to it. They did not speak as if this was their own word. 
They taught as if they were simply reporting someone else's words, talking about ancient history that really had no bearing on someone today. Go through the motions, we're expected to read from here, but yeah, we all know we've got better things to do. They taught with uncertainty, saying that things were open for debate, that you could take it or leave it, and eh, who can really say one way or another? And that's really sad. Because they were supposed to be teaching with the very authority that God's word has. But instead, they neglected their duties, they gave in to cultural pressures, and they abandoned God's word. They wanted to be liked. And if you speak in absolutes, somebody's not going to like that. They didn't want to offend anyone, and so if they said that God's word absolutely had to be followed, well, somebody who wasn't following it might be upset with them. They thought there was no real way to actually be sure. So why risk driving someone away when they themselves couldn't say for sure what God meant by any of his scripture? Let's just agree to disagree and be open to different interpretations. And so when the people hear Jesus teach, when they see the power of his word drive out even the demons... They're shocked. It was so different from what they were used to hearing. It was spoken with confidence, with power, with authority. Not a cockiness, not a false sense of confidence that says, yeah, that's right, I'm the guy, you should listen to me. But it was spoken with certainty, with assurance that what he said is absolutely true. And it was spoken with that authority Because this was God himself speaking it to them. It's very interesting. When the prophets speak God's word, they made it very clear where their authority came from by using a phrase like, thus says the Lord. We see this all the time as we're moving through the minor prophets in our Bible studies. We see it in the Bible. When the prophet speaks, they say, this is not my word, this is the word of God. Jesus never does say that because he needs no outside authority. God's word is his word because he himself is God in the flesh. And they just weren't used to hearing that. Jesus' teaching and speaking, it was so different from what they had been hearing that the people assumed that this now is some brand spanking new teaching, something completely different from what they assumed God's word was. They said, this is just not even the same thing that we've heard before. Tell us more about this new teaching that you bring. But you see, Jesus wasn't speaking anything new at all. He was speaking that same word of God that had been spoken by the prophets for centuries. He was saying exactly what scripture had said from the very beginning. He wasn't introducing anything new. What he was doing was speaking it with the authority that it deserved. The authority that mankind had stripped from God's word. The authority that had always been there, whether people liked it or recognized it or not. From the beginning, God's word has always been the ultimate authority. How was the universe created? Did a committee get together and say, I think this would be a good idea? No. 
God said, let there be, and there was. Without discussion, without protest, without anything able to resist, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that same word of God destroys. Those who stand in his way, those who oppose him, when God speaks, they cannot say, but, but I've got a loophole. But you don't understand my circumstances. But God, I talked with other people and they said I can do this. When God speaks condemnation, you are condemned. When God speaks destruction, you are destroyed. God's word commands even the demons. It's very interesting. In Jesus' time on the earth, there is always one group and one group only that always recognizes and acknowledges who Jesus is. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the scribes. It's not the teachers of the law. It's not even the disciples. It is the demons. They know and understand the authority of God's word, and they can do nothing about it. They want to do their own thing, but when Jesus speaks, they are held to it. God's word is power. And it's that word that works faith in our hearts. We sinners who hate God, who want nothing to do with Him, who by nature cannot comprehend or believe in His grace, when He speaks to us, we are made alive. We are made new. That's the authority that God's word always has had, always will have. And yet we sinners have tried to strip it of that authority. We always have, and we still do today. Churches today should be teaching with the full authority of God's word, saying, thus says the Lord, in no questionable ways. But too often, we try to go the way of the scribes of Jesus' day. Ah, let's not tell people that they might be wrong, because then they might feel bad and might not come back. Let's let each person take from the scriptures what they feel is most useful. Because then it's personal, and it's internal, and it means something to them. And if we speak in absolutes, ha, we're being exclusive. And who's to say that we're actually right? It's a lot of different ways you could look at this. People get told what to do so much in their lives. The church should be somewhere where they can be at ease and feel good about themselves. This is not what the church is here to do. If we want everyone to just feel good and be at ease, let's take out the pews, put in a hot tub and a juice bar. It'd be a lot more inviting. It would certainly make my job easier. But you know what? That's not the church. That's a social club. That's a feel-good gathering of people who want to pat themselves on the back that has nothing to do with the authority and power of God's word. The church is to boldly proclaim God's word in all its truth, all its purity, all its authority. Not meekly, not questioningly, not asking for the world's approval, not leaving it open to debate. Thus says the Lord. We are founded in the certainty of God's word. And we would be doing the world a great disservice if we were to turn our back on that power and authority. 
This is the one place you can come and hear absolutes. This is the one place you can hear a truth that is not up for debate. This is the eternal word of God delivered to sinners like us who need it. And for us to water that down, it's not good for anyone. Now this doesn't mean that we purposely upset people or set out to be offensive. We're not better Christians the more we make people mad. It also doesn't mean that we get to interpret God's word however we want and shame those who disagree with us. This is not the word of Pastor Redditch or the Missouri Synod. This is the word of the Lord. And when you preach with the authority that that word deserves, when you preach the full truth of God's word of life in a world of death, you are going to step on toes and you are going to upset a lot of people. But out of love, not hate, we continue to boldly proclaim what God has given us. The truth of Scripture that does not change from age to age. And the authority of Jesus Christ and his church. And even though it might not seem like it, the eternal, unquestionable, godly authority of the church, that is the greatest blessing in our lives. That authority, it comes from Jesus Christ himself, who is the ultimate authority, by whom and through whom all things were made, who supports and upholds all things in this universe. Just as Jesus spoke in the synagogue with authority, here he speaks with that exact same authority. We don't speak our own words, thoughts, notions, or interpretations. We, too, speak the word of God in our readings in our liturgy, in our hymns, in our architecture, in our decorations, in absolutely everything that we do as God's church. We do this because Jesus Christ has given his church on earth his full authority. After the resurrection, as he breathed on the disciples, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Jesus Christ the creator and ruler of all things, gives us his very word to speak. Not timidly or in an apologizing tone, nor in a militaristic, browbeating kind of way, but we are to speak with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself. The church speaks with God's authority when it proclaims God's law. As we confront people about their sin, we do not say, hey, be more like me. We point to God's holy and perfect word, declaring it and it alone to be the absolute standard by which the whole world, including us, is judged. It does not change with society. It does not bend to fit with what you feel is right and wrong. It is not based on majority opinion. God has spoken and it is so. God's word is absolute, and we proclaim it as such. The church cannot rob God's word of its power and authority in order to please mankind's evil desires, and it does not help anyone when we try to. The church has been given that word of power, and the true church proclaims it fully, even when it hurts feelings. And as the church speaks with full authority while proclaiming God's law, it speaks with even greater authority when it proclaims God's gospel. 
While God's law is important, the gospel is even more important, more authoritative. The law convicts, but the gospel saves. This is the true purpose of the church, of Jesus Christ himself. And this, too, is the authority with which the church speaks. Would you want to come to a church that says, Jesus might have forgiven you, but you never know? Or do you want to hear the absolute truth that God has given us? Your sins were paid in full. Jesus Christ died to rescue you from the fires of hell. And there is no doubt about that. When we proclaim the forgiveness of sins, we are not looking forward to something that might happen someday. We are not holding out a faint glimmer of hope and saying, eh, this could be, but really, who knows? We are declaring a fact. Your sins are forgiven. And we are not just speaking words to remind us of what happened long ago or what will happen when we stand before Jesus' throne of judgment. When the pastor speaks the absolution, he often says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. This means he is speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ himself, speaking with God's own authority and forgiving you of your sin. Guess what? I'm not perfect. And if that's a shock to you, I feel bad for you so much. I am a sinner just like you. But the word that I speak, the word of God, it has the perfect almighty, eternal authority of Jesus Christ himself. And that is where you put your confidence. That's what you can trust in. Jesus himself stands before you day after day, every time we gather together as a congregation, speaking through the pastor, through the church, declaring you forgiven of all the sin that should condemn you to hell. Jesus Christ who took on your human flesh to save you, stands here every time. Jesus Christ, who suffered and died to pay the eternal penalty of all of your sin, stands before you. Jesus Christ, who rose again from the grave, who shattered the chains of death, who gives you the promise of eternal life in paradise, he is the one who comes before you in this holy house and gives you his word, of forgiveness. Jesus Christ, who comes to us in his true body and blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of all of your sin, he is truly with us. And Jesus Christ, who will come again in glory to take you in his arms so that you will be with him forever, he is the one speaking his word. Jesus who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who here in church forgives you of every one of your sins. What a blessing that is. What a blessing to know the authority with which the church speaks. We don't serve a weak and timid God who gives us maybes and might be and maybe there's a shot at it. We serve a God who has power and authority. The authority of his word, it shocks people. It offends people. It stands out in a world of uncertainty and half-truths. But with that authority 
becomes absolute certainty. We know that what our Lord speaks is true and absolute from age to age, everlasting. We know without a doubt that God does exactly what he has promised and he keeps his word absolutely. We don't shy away from the authority of God's word, but we cling to it because it is our very life. Because by that unchanging, authoritative word, you have not just hope, but the absolute authoritative guarantee of the gospel that by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.